We know what's on everyone's minds right now, the coronavirus. And here in our cross-border region, there's probably one question that's mostly dominating our minds. Will the border close? And if it does close, what exactly is going to happen? So we're going to put the pause on our normal programming and bring you some news you can use right now. Maybe help ease some of the uncertainty around crossing the border. Max Rivlin-Nadler covers the border for KPBS. Max is here today and he's going to give us the most up-to-date information he has as of recording time, which is 1.47 p.m. on Thursday, March 12th. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Max, thank you for joining Only Here. Uh, Good to be here. So as of right now, right in this moment, the border remains open and there are no known plans to close it at least. But some extra precautions like additional health screenings are in effect, right? Yeah, it's unclear exactly how that's being administered. There are, you know, signs in multiple languages saying if you've been exposed, if you have symptoms, if you've been to any of the countries that, you know, this originated from. So that would be uh, Asia. Obviously, Italy is now a pretty big hotspot. Those are at the border and at the crossings. But people crossing um, would have to volunteer that information almost because uh, CBP agents are not asking those questions or Mm. at least haven't been as of, um, you know, a few days ago. Is there anything else happening at the border to help prevent the spread of COVID-19? There's uh, hand sanitizing stations, uh, but that is all I've seen. It's been relatively um, seamless and, and limited kind of changes at the border for people who cross every day. A lot of these things are kind of just like, here, we're making an effort, but, um, you know, as you saw with um, previous iterations of travel bans, um, you know, they don't necessarily already work because we already have coronavirus here in the Mm. United States. So I don't necessarily understand their efficacy uh, because it has already spread here. Yeah. um, So I heard this, the San Ysidro port of entry was closed briefly recently uh, to do some tests. I saw a lot of videos with smoke. Tell me, tell us more a little bit about that. Yeah, so that was last night. This has been a recurring feature along the border where Customs and Border Protection will do kind of a mock exercise of closing the border. This is a big show of force. What they do is uh, they put on riot gear. They have, um, you know, smoke canisters for whatever reason uh, to accompany them. Um, It's a big dramatic scene. It's a big production. CBP takes a lot of video there. And this actually coincided with um, a a court ruling that would have had a big impact on the border, which was uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had struck down the Remain in Mexico program. And that was supposed to go into effect at midnight on Hmm. uh, Wednesday, so early Thursday, um, that uh, a good amount of people, like thousands of people, would be able to present themselves at the San Ysidro port of entry. Um, What ended up happening is the Supreme Court 
stayed that injunction and said the program could continue as it continues to wind through court. And that's probably why that exercise was scheduled. Um, you know, the exercise itself happening at midnight, that's a good tip off why they were doing it. But they've kind of wrapped all of these things into one where they say, okay, we're doing immigration enforcement, we're doing uh, stricter borders, we're looking for people who might be trying to rush the border, and we're also doing this because of coronavirus. Um, But every time I've talked to people at Customs and Border Protection, um, they haven't really explained what they're doing or why they're doing it, how they're doing it. It doesn't seem, it seems to be kind of tacked on to their normal border enforcement. Hmm. Yeah, it just didn't make much sense to me when I started seeing it all over social media. But yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, with travel now banned from Europe, it seems like a total border closure isn't totally outside the realm of possibility. Um, so let's just say the border is closed tomorrow. What would happen to U.S. citizens currently in Mexico and vice versa? I think a lot of us are imagining a future in which we get stuck in one country or the other indefinitely. Um, but do you think they'd continue to let U.S. citizens back into the country? Yeah, so we saw this in 2018 where the government, you know, unilaterally shut down the border for a matter of hours. As U.S. citizens, you always have a right to return to the United States, whether that is held up in secondary or health screenings um, is kind of at the discretion of the government. It might take some time. Um, But if you have legal status in the United States, you have a right to return. It might be more difficult for people who are green card holders, legal permanent residents. That might be a much more um, difficult process. But the U.S. can never lock out citizens from its borders, uh, at least indefinitely. Um, One thing that I I would keep in mind is that, um, as we saw with the ban from Europe, Uh, that the president announced last night, these things could be rolled out relatively quickly, relatively haphazardly, and most importantly, create an amount of chaos, Mm. um, especially with people having to enforce those edicts or laws or, you know, proclamations. And you saw this on the original iteration of the travel ban at the airports. Um, You saw this again in 2018 when you had around Thanksgiving, uh, the shutdown of the border when when asylum seekers were marching towards it. Um, So the confusion is something that could really uh, provide an impediment for people's usually, you know, kind of fluid crossing of the border if you are a U.S. citizen. Hmm. How do you feel now in this time going down to report a story in Tijuana? Do you think twice about it? No, I I mean, I don't personally, because again, I I have that passport privilege. I am a U.S. citizen. They can only keep me out for however long. And, you know, if I have to spend a couple of hours or a day in Tijuana, you know, there are worse things. Um, But I I would... But it might not be a couple hours. Right. It might be a day. It might be two days. It might be... Who knows, right? I would Mm -hmm. say, again, as a U.S. citizen, you have that strong... Even the ban from Europe... U.S. citizens, are that doesn't apply to them. So you will always have a very strong legal food, footing to get back into the U.S. Um, that being said, it's a fluid situation. I wouldn't do unnecessary travel. I wouldn't go if it's, you know, I just want to go buy something or have a night out on the town. You know, it could extend well into a couple of days. So you really, um, I go down for work, and I think a lot of people go back and forth because they live or they work on one side or the other, and they don't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. So that's not optional. But I think what you're seeing, and this is basic, you know, coronavirus preparation in general, is people um, deciding to cut back on things that are discretionary. And that, of course, is going to have a huge impact on the economy on both sides of the border. Of course. And what what would happen if 
Mexico decides to close their side of the border, but the U.S. decides to leave it open. Is that is that likely? It's unlikely, seeing as though Mexico, um, you know, even as of this morning, the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, was uh, really downplaying the role of coronavirus in the country because Mexico, as of yet, as of right now, does not have that many reported cases. Um, that's going to change. Uh, we just know that because of how this virus has spread and and the fluidity between our borders. Um, You know, he said something to effect of we can fight this virus with hugs, which is not something uh, that we could fight this virus with because we need to be practicing uh, or the medical experts tell us to be practicing things like social distancing, like staying away from each other. So Mexico is kind of approaching this with the same amount of, um, you know, uh, optimism that the United States did as of a few weeks ago and that, you know, it won't be that bad. Um, but as we're seeing it play out in the United States and it's a really quickly developing situation, it could get bad in a hurry. And Mexico has not taken many steps to um, make sure that doesn't happen. Hmm. Crazy time we live in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I think on a personal level for people like me who live on one side and work on the other Obviously, we would have to adjust to a totally new new way of living and working. But I think on a macro level, obviously, the economic losses of cross, of closing the border would be enormous, staggering. Can you kind of just remind us of what's at stake here if the border does close? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously, there's goods that go back and forth along uh, trains and, and trucks. Um, that would be a massive impact. But just kind of intercity commerce, you have people going back and forth from Tijuana and San Diego and Southern California in general and spending money. You know, there's a Cholos game tomorrow night. It's supposed to be rainy, so that would cut into attendance anyway. But all of those Americans who normally make the trip, I mean, if you're standing there on a normal weekend night for a Cholos game, that's, you know, thousands of people make that trip. They're probably not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, restaurants on both sides of the border. On the U.S. side, you're going to probably lose a lot of workers. On the Mexican side, you're going to lose a lot of tourists. Um, the the, the trickle-down effect that, um, you know, <laughs> trickle-down economics probably doesn't actually make all that much sense, but the trickle-down effect of, of people not spending money, on the other hand, does have a huge effect, and it ripples out throughout the entire economy. I heard somebody put it this way in that, you know, what we're going to see is, you know, coronavirus is a pandemic, and unemployment in the next couple of months is going to be the epidemic. In that because people are not spending money, people are not crossing the border, people are not going outside, um, all of the economic impacts will be felt f- through every different sector of society. So even if the stock market does continue its downward slide, you know, that might impact people in white collar jobs with 401ks, but it'll really impact people who work at service jobs, who work in restaurants, who work at um you know, all of these jobs that rely on people feeling comfortable spending money and especially along the border here because we are so kind of entertainment focused, um, hospitality focused, that's going to be a huge hit. So, I mean, even without closing the border, the bo- the region is in for, for quite, a, quite a riot over the next few months. And especially if it was to close the border, this would only make situation worse because, again, we're no longer in the containment phase of this of this virus, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, I think to be to really be effective, especially in a region as interdependent and as fluid as ours, um, the region needs a very coordinated response between public officials in California and in Baja. Um, how is our track record on that? Like, have we coordinated efforts before and worked together at this level? 
we've worked together before on SARS. We've worked together before on Ebola. We've worked. Uh, we both work with the World Health Organization to try to track these viruses and practice best practices. Um, of course, there have been really big notable failures. You know, the ongoing sewage issues along the southern border with the Tijuana River. Um, you know, obviously, U.S. officials are very upset with how that's played out. Mexican officials are frustrated as well with you know lack of assistance. So. Um, you know, we have a mixed track record. Obviously, the lines of communications between both sides are fairly open and are probably um, at their best levels uh, in, in recent history. The, the, the Both sides of the border are talking with each other. There's a strong bond there. But we are in kind of a triage moment where um, the county is trying to get a, a grip on what's happening inside of its own its own borders. And um, until Mexico really begins uh, presenting its own symptoms and people, the numbers of people infected go up there, probably you're not going to see as much cross-border association and and cooperation as you would otherwise. Um, And I think it's just a matter of time. um, But I think local officials are are pretty busy right now and a little swamped with the enormity of what's going to happen here. Hmm. Sorry to be a bummer. <laughs> time we live in, yeah. man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, the people most at risk are people in places with where sanitation is not a priority or there's not that many resources, like migrant camps in Tijuana. Do you know if there's anything being done to protect that very vulnerable population? Yeah, this is a really interesting um, facet of it, right? Because you have these camps um, that are have limited... Uh, sanitation options, people are living on top of each other. Already, you know, the flu season is very tough in these camps. People have already been sick for some time. Um, There was just today the government of Tijuana sat down with the operators of some of these shelters and started going over best practices. So Mm. the the government in in Tijuana is being proactive. Um, They know, yeah, they know that this is going to be an issue. I would say one thing that is working in their favor is um, the population at these shelters is fairly young. Um, You know, we know that COVID-19 doesn't impact younger people as much. Um, Obviously, they get sick, but they're able, they don't have as many underlying issues. Um, You have a lot of children, you have a lot of young couples, you have people in their 30s and 40s. These aren't necessarily the risk groups, so that's working in their favor. That being said, if you don't have the ability to treat um, any of the underlying symptoms, you're in big underlying issues you might have, you're in big trouble. And that's what a lot of people have developed over the past uh, couple of years of living in substandard housing and not having access to sanitation. So I know legal service providers down in, in Mexico or in, in Tijuana are really working on trying to get people who might have underlying medical issues, medical parole into the U.S., um, and they've been doing this for weeks, uh, not necessarily tied to coronavirus, but really now it's taken on a new urgency that people who are going to be exposed, because like it or not, exposure is probably going to happen, especially in these types of environments, um, to make to minimize uh, the exposure of people who have these really um, sensitive medical situations. Hmm. And for the migrants that are currently detained, how is is how is ICE handling that very real danger of coronavirus a coronavirus outbreak among them? 
Yeah, so ICE has been really opaque in terms of how it's uh, dealing with this outbreak. They haven't really said too much. Not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. They're not the most, forth- the most forthcoming agency. And the American Civil Liberties Union of San Diego and Imperial Counties yesterday called on ICE to uh, keep local service providers up to date with what's going on and, you know, basically not just saying, you know, we're treating this as as we normally do because the normal inside ICE detention is not great. You know, this are, these are places that have seen outbreaks of mumps, uh, really bad flu seasons, um, you know, a lot of uh, solvable and curable medical problems that have been exacerbated due to lack of service. We know that the private detention facility in Otay Mesa does not have a great history when it comes to medical care. We know of uh, pregnant women who've had a, a miserable time there. And so legal service providers and, and um, le- human rights organizations are very concerned about what ICE is doing and trying to impress upon them that it can't be the same status quo uh, because this is a population that is being civilly detained. They haven't done anything criminally wrong. So a lot of people who are currently being detained could be given something called a notice to appear and Mm -hmm. told, hey, you could go out into the U.S. and then we will call you back for your court dates, um, thus kind of relieving the stress on a system that already shows that it's incapable of handling serious medical emergencies. I've reached out to ICE several times. I've yet to hear back as to what their plan is. Um, And, you know, they say they've got it covered and we will see. But unfortunately, it feels like it's only a matter of time before you do have individuals in, in these locations that end up with this virus. And and I should add that not only are the detainees at risk, but also the people that work there and the people that provide legal services there. So it's an entire community. And unlike the detainees, those people are going home at night. So if you have an outbreak at a place like um, CCA in Otay Mesa or mm-hmm. at any of or GEO, which is downtown and has people in federal custody, um, that's a place where basically people can um, take the disease from one place and take it, bring it to another. Um, and it doesn't seem as though these agencies are, are ha- based on previous actions are really up to the task. We'll find mm-hmm. out. Yeah, to go off that, um, some people fear, obviously, that the flow of deportees, people who get deported from the U.S. to Mexico, could really complicate the region's ability to contain the virus. What's what's happening with the deportations right now? Yeah, deportations are really interesting. Obviously, you know, people are not only being deported back to Mexico. A lot of people are being deported to Guatemala, to El Salvador, uh, to Nicaragua. They're, they're being deported all over Central America, which to this date has not seen many cases. The U.S. might actually be exporting the virus as part of the people um, that are being deported and removed. Uh, There's a bunch of new um, accommodations that have been made with Central American countries to send people from a third country to uh, Guatemala, Hmm. to Honduras. That's going to happen soon. To El Salvador. That's also in the works. Um, So you've got people who have traveled through Mexico, are detained in the U.S., are then sent to a place like Honduras, and then go home to El Salvador. So you've already kind of amplified how many different vectors this person has interacted with and and been able to not only pick up the virus, but spread the virus. Um, the, the irony, of course, is this has already happened one time before, but when America be, essentially deported its gang problem to Central America, um, and uh, uh, that 
has led to the rise in um, asylum seekers along the southern border. So it's mm-hmm. a closed loop, uh, mm-hmm. which um, has been traveled before. And uh, yeah, epidemiology could teach us a lot about how violence works, as well as uh, obviously illnesses. There's uh, there's a lot of migrants who come from China and from really all over the world who come to Tijuana to get into San Diego. Mm-hmm. Does that mean, do you think that Tijuana is at a higher risk than other parts of the world? Um, no, I think we're all pretty much at the same risk right now. I, again, if we were going to contain this, it was going to happen a few weeks ago. Um, the free flow back and forth across the border, people landing at JFK after coming back from Italy, things like that, people flying into Tijuana and then walking across to the U.S. Um, you know, the, it's here. There's, there's, Tijuana is in no greater threat um, because it has people flying in from China than it does because it's close to San Diego. Um, that's just the fact of the matter, and that's a, basically globalization in the 21st century means that a large city with a huge manufacturing base is going to be exposed to these types of illnesses. And um, unless you are extremely proactive, there's very little you can do to spread it, especially if you are neighboring a city like San Diego in a country that has not been nearly proactive enough in stopping the spread of this virus. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we haven't heard of many cases coming out of Mexico yet? Do you think it's a situation where the disease is likely there and spreading, but the country hasn't tested people and caught many of the cases? Yeah, so testing's a big issue, right? Um, Mexico has um, a healthcare system that has been criticized uh, for not being adequate, and much in the same way that the U.S. has a healthcare system that shows that it's not quite up to the task of, w- of what it has to deal with right now. Um, why there haven't been more cases in Mexico, I would say give it a few weeks. Uh, we saw this happen in the U.S. The thing about Mexico is, um, I mean, if you were to look at how this kind of spread, it did spread among um, wealthy people first because they hmm. are the world travelers. They go from place to place. And just being a poorer country, you just have less cosmopolitan kind of jet setters. Of course, you have the 1% in Mexico and Mexico City and Tijuana. You know, the 1% exists, but it's just not as um, you, not as concentrated as in the U.S. and hasn't spread as far. But I, I'd say give it a few weeks. It's going to happen. Um, That's comforting. Yeah, I know. I mean, no country, (laughs) again, no country is able to stop this from coming to them. But there are a few that can have shown that they've taken really strong precautionary measures. Um, Obviously, South Korea, Taiwan, other places that have really worked to stop the spread. But even, you know, obviously, Germany is now having a huge issue um, it's going to come to Mexico, and it's a question of whether the Mexican government is interested in, in containment and uh, stopping its spread or um, is going to kind of continue its um, denialism. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I think, I think wait and see. I wish I had better news. <laughs> no, we're, we're all, we're all uh, flying by the seat of our pants right now. Um, Obviously, things are moving very fast, so everything that we just talked about could be completely obsolete in a couple of hours even. Yeah. Um, But aside from tuning into KPBS or going to kpbs.org, where do you think people should be getting the best, most up-to-date information about the coronavirus? I mean, um, you know, obviously, plug KPBS. Uh, All the local news channels have really 
gone on to this uh, 24-7. I think they're all doing a, pr- a pretty solid job. The county itself is doing as good as it can, but is, is going to start limiting the flow of information just because it needs to focus its resources. Um, and, and basically, um, you know, it's going to kind of overwhelm the county pretty soon. So I would say stick with uh, known news outlets. Do not um, listen to the text that says we're all going to be quar- – I heard from a friend who works for the DOD that we're all going to be quarantined in 24 hours. Don't listen to that guy. Focus on what the news is saying, even if you might say the news is being a bit, um, you know, you might even think that the news is being a bit dramatic. Uh, it's it's much better to err on the side of safety. It's much better to uh, take the precautions that you need to now um, and wish you had, you know, feel foolish later than not taking them when when you really need to. So I would stick with KPBS, uh, your trusted local news sources. Uh, state and local officials and uh, stay off of WhatsApp and uh, iMessager <laughs> for and Messenger mm-hmm. for for a lot of disinformation is going to fly around in the next couple of days. And you just got to be aware of that. For sure. Well, thank you, Max. Um, I hope this helps ease people's hysteria a little bit. Hysteria doesn't help you put on the mask quicker. So just keep calm, breathe. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's uh, we're and all wash in, your hands. <laughs> yeah, wash your hands, and we're all in this together. No one, no one has a leg up on anybody else. So um, remember to be kind to each other out there, and especially on a podcast like this that promotes cross border, um, you know, collaboration and love. Um, very clearly, the virus has shown us just how uh, kind of meaningless these national dividers mm-hmm. are. And uh, absolutely <laughs> how porous they are. So that absolutely. works in our favor. Nothing to show you how porous things are in yeah. the virus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That works in our favor. Uh, sometimes we get a little too close to each other and, yeah. <laughs> and help spread it. All right. Enough of stabs and humor for this. Yeah. Fist bumps. Wash your hands. <laughs> Keep calm. We'll, we'll get through it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Max. Thank you.